We believe better patient experiences begin with a commitment to every aspect of healthcare. This is Full Circle Healthcare, a MedSphere podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Full Circle Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic is being felt across all industries, but nowhere are these effects being felt more acutely than in the healthcare space. And so today we're going to talk about funding and, and some of the challenges that uh, healthcare facilities are experiencing. We're going to talk about hospitals, clinics, doctors' offices, all of the various uh, facilities that um, that healthcare providers have. And joining me to to have this conversation today is David McFarlane. He's the marketing communications manager at MedSphere. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Tyler, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's it's great to talk to you today. And and you know, David, we, we know that COVID nineteen is having a massive impact across the medical community. Um, you know, how are medical providers experiencing that impact, and what are some of the ramifications? Um, and I know we're going to talk about maybe different facilities. So let's start off just talking about hospitals and some of the challenges they're facing during this time. So um, one of the more interesting uh, aspects of the whole pandemic is that I think different segments of the industry are experiencing this in really different ways. Hospitals are probably pretty obviously to everybody um, really concerned about being overwhelmed with people who have been infected and are infected so badly that they require emergent care. So what hospitals have had to do is set aside uh, a lot of other care that they uh, frequently provide, including things like uh, elective surgery that generate a lot of revenue for hospitals so that they can be prepared for an influx of COVID-19 patients. And that's changed the way they do business in the short term substantially. Yeah, that's obviously going to be a massive change to just the, the general business model. Um, and, and so without that, that funding coming in, that's certainly providing challenges regarding staffing and what what the capabilities are of these hospitals, right? And, and that in and of itself is, is a challenge, right? Because if you're, if you're battling a pandemic and you have people coming in, um, but you're not having that same kind of uh, revenue or, or that same kind of cash flow coming in because of elective procedures and things like that, then obviously you're going to face uh, a bit of a challenge just making sure that the doors stay open, the lights stay on and you're able to offer proper care, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a good example of a situation where the healthcare as a business model kind of falls on its face a little bit. We have a massive public health challenge. And so running healthcare as a business um, isn't going to work quite as well here because the uh, overarching, the primary priority is just taking care of those patients who are the most sick. And that's going to overwhelm a lot of the um, capacity that any hospital has especially in places like New York, where we know how bad it's been. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a massive challenge in places like that. And um, so we know that the government has programs for hospitals and is, is doing a little bit in, in regards to helping make sure that their funding is is coming through, that they are able to stay open and stay afloat and, and that sort of thing. Kind of talk me through a little bit more about uh, what the federal government is doing uh, for hospitals specifically uh, to help weather this particular storm. So with hospitals, not to be too crude about it, but they're basically throwing money um, at the hospitals right now to make sure that they have sufficient funds for supplies and for staff and for everything they need to do to treat patients as they come in. Congress has gone through three rounds of funding so far, totaling about $2 trillion. And the Senate just passed yesterday a new round of funding. So, And they anticipate actually another round coming up maybe next week or the following week. Not sure yet. But so far, in those first three rounds, the um, Congress allocated $180 billion for public services, and the lion's share of that's going to hospitals um, in the form of reimbursements for COVID-19-related care that they're providing. 
That can take a lot of different forms. Some of them are having to build temporary structures, lease additional properties, obviously buy additional supplies. Sometimes they're going to have to hire um, additional workers and increase the capacity of their hospital to to accommodate uh, a surge of patients when they come in. Yeah, and is there anything that hospitals have to do to uh, opt into that particular program or, or anything like that? Or is this just something that if you are a hospital, uh, you are receiving uh, this aid from the government? So the federal government is requiring hospitals to fill out a form. And to be honest with you right now, details on exactly how that process takes place is, are a little hard to come by. I have been unable to find a website or a link to click on where, where hospitals can, can fill out the form. And from what I've been reading in news reports, it seems like a lot of other reporters and um, healthcare analysts are having the same trouble. So it's an unsatisfying answer. But right now, I'm not exactly sure how hospitals actually go about the process of acquiring the funds. Yeah, that's certainly a, a challenge as it comes to um, making sure that, that you receive those funds that, that you need if you're a hospital. Um, and now also the, the government has made uh, decisions, in, and this might kind of roll into the, the reimbursements like you were talking about, but the government has uh, made some decisions regarding Medicare and Medicaid. Kind of talk me through uh, what decisions they made and how that's making a difference for hospitals as well. So since the federal government is the largest payer in the country, I mean, government entities cover about uh, 56% of all healthcare costs in the U.S. So this gives government the power to, I don't know, I guess you would say reduce fees that they charge generally on things like Medicare and Medicaid. Their, Congress has reverse scheduled cuts to Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements, uh, which effectively spreads about another $11 billion across 3,000 hospitals. And they are reimbursing hospitals for about 6.2% of the fee-for-service Medicare reimbursements that uh, they already paid from 2019. So, you know, Congress has other tools available to it that enable them to push some more cash back to the hospitals. Let me add also that in the legislation that the Senate passed yesterday, and we're speaking on Wednesday the 22nd, in that legislation, the Senate allocated another $75 billion for hospitals. The expectation is that the House will pass that in the next couple of days. So, there's more money coming. There'll probably be more money after that as well. Yeah, and I think that uh, as much as much as the government can do to help hospitals in this time, as we try to weather this this pandemic, I think is is beneficial for those facilities, and they obviously are going to need uh, are going to need the help, like we mentioned, just with um, elective surgeries and elective operations being off the table for the time being, as we record this podcast, and as. Uh, hospitals ex- experience that overflow of patients that are that are you know dealing with COVID nineteen symptoms, and so um, this is something that is obviously of of massive importance for hospitals as they're on the front lines uh, waging this fight against COVID nineteen. And I would add, Tyler, um, you know we're looking at a situation right now um, where some of the southern states, in particular, are talking about reopening their economies. Georgia's already made um, some steps in that direction, so we're really talking about a scenario in which. We're sort of in a catch-22. The economy's been decimated. A lot of a lot of businesses are closed. Congress obviously has been pushing money towards individuals to try and keep them afloat in terms of covering all of their budgetary commitments. But if reopening the economy in certain states causes uh, COVID nineteen incidents to spike, which a lot of public health professionals expect, then this money is going to be more necessary because there may be additional surges regionally, especially in large cities that overwhelm hospitals uh, once again. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's that's definitely something that we will be watching for. Uh, you mentioned Georgia specifically. I know Texas is trying to move in that direction uh, potentially as well. And so those states, uh, it, it will be interesting just to see what the impact and what the ramifications for hospitals are in these particular states and in these particular cases. As uh, you know, you're right. There is a, a massive catch-22 there as uh, the importance of the economy and the, the importance of this as a public health issue uh, weighs on the minds of uh, legislatures. And, and leaders of these particular uh, states and areas, I think that's something uh, to certainly be aware of um, moving forward for hospitals and for uh, for the people that are uh, providing healthcare in these cases. Yeah, I've seen a couple of comments like on Twitter that basically it's kind of snarky, but people are saying, "Well, Georgia's Georgia's doing us a big favor." So we're going to see what we're going to watch what happens down there, and that might drive the be the decisions of of governors in a lot of other states. So. Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right that this will be an interesting test case, uh, to say the least. And it feels a little crass to, to almost say that as we talk about a public health emergency. But yeah, but yeah you're, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, it will be interesting to... It to that way, yeah. Yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see how this all uh, works out and what unfolds. David, I, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about some of the other healthcare facilities and uh, some of the other ways that they are receiving funding, specifically with clinics and doctor's offices and facilities like that that exclude hospitals. What means is there for those types of facilities to receive funding? I know the Small Business Administration um, has a loan program as well. So kind of talk me through some of the, the basics of that program and maybe how these clinics and, uh, and doctor's offices and places like that can also receive funding during this time. Yeah, so the clinics have a problem that's kind of the opposite of the hospitals in some ways in that now they are their business is almost completely dried up because of quarantining and because of shelter at home and these kinds of policies uh, across the country. So their revenue is almost completely gone. So the SBA is going to be funding clinics through two primary programs. The largest of these is the Paycheck Protection Program. And for this, clinics are incentivized actually all small businesses are incentivized to retain or rehire their employees. Uh, the loans that they get through the SBA are uh, sometimes forgivable up to 100% if you retain or rehire employees and keep them for a certain amount of time. Uh, the application process was being managed by local banks. Actually, it's still being managed by local banks. Unfortunately, that particular program ran out of money in 13 days. More popular than it was expected, it was overwhelmed. They went through $349 billion in, in 13 days. So the Senate is allocated another $320 billion for that program in particular. And that's going to be the primary funding mechanism for all small businesses that have found themselves decimated by the, the pandemic, including um, clinics. There is also an economic injury disaster program, which is an extant SBA program uh, that historically has offered $2 million for disaster related losses. Uh, through this program, the CARES Act provides for $10,000 that go to small businesses within three days of the application, which sounds ideal. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way because, again, uh, the SBA was kind of overwhelmed uh, by the number of applications that they received. Yeah, and I know during this time that it's been especially difficult on small businesses. And so there were a lot of applications and also a lot of conversation that I saw uh, just in the news and in, on social media, just about who applied for that and how uh, to best go about receiving those types of funds as, as some businesses, maybe uh, notably uh, Shake Shack, uh, the restaurant chain gave back uh, the money that they received just saying, you know, hey, we, we're doing okay. We maybe shouldn't have qualified for this uh, small business 
uh, loan in the first place. And so maybe this is something that could go elsewhere. But I, I know that that conversation has happened a little bit more broadly. So for these these clinics and, uh, and places like this that are obviously important to communities moving forward, what are some maybe recommendations, I would say, that can help them make sure that they get their applications in, that they receive the funding they need. You mentioned local banks. Is, is that a is that a big aspect of this particular situation for these clinics and doctors' offices? Yeah, it really is for two primary reasons. Um, the SBA is managing this program through local banks. The clinics have to go to a local bank to get the money, but also because uh, what we saw from the first round was that having a relationship, an existing relationship with a local bank enabled businesses that applied to get, actually get their applications through faster and to get their money more quickly. So it would be a good time for any small business, but a clinic in particular, to establish a relationship with the bank if um, they don't already have one. Um, and in this next round of funding that the Senate's approved, they've actually set aside um, quite a bit of money, uh, $60 billion for small lenders in particular. I think that's assume, assuming that there'd be a relationship between small businesses and small lenders since in a lot of places in this country, they uh, help one another survive. Yeah, a bit of a, a symbiotic relationship between those uh, those particular parties, obviously making sure that they both are able to uh, to benefit kind of from from the existence of the other. Um, you know, I, I wonder just as, as clinics and doctor's offices come up against these particular challenges, uh, you know, any recommendations that you might have just to help weather this storm? Because obviously, you know, th- the fact that these places uh, are not uh, seeing as many patients and that's sort of dried up just due to all of the concerns that, that people have and the, the quarantining and the uh, shelter in place and, and, and those types of restrictions. These places haven't been able to see as many patients. So um, as you mentioned, a lot of the, the revenue that they ge- normally generate has just completely dried up. What, what kind of recommendations do you have to these uh, types of establishments um, to be able to maybe keep their doors open to, uh, to maybe evolve a little bit in, in ways that would help them, not just for this particular time, but also maybe into the future? Yeah, I, I would like to be able to say that we have this genius recommendation that is going to change everything, but everybody's already ahead of us. As soon as this happened, it became pretty clear that telehealth, which uh, was a growing aspect of the healthcare IT industry already, but it was growing sort of slowly, there were fits and starts, is now on everybody's mind. And a lot of clinics are scrambling to get it implemented as quickly as possible because, A, it gives them the opportunity to see and potentially treat their patients remotely. And so those patients who are sheltered in place don't need to come into the office. And B, uh, for patients that might be ill with COVID-19, it doesn't put the doctors and the other employees of the clinic at risk by actually seeing them face to face. So in the instance that you know, you're trying to diagnose COVID-19, you can um, hypothetically diagnose it from a set of symptoms, which you could actually evaluate over telehealth. You couldn't confirm all that, of course, until you actually got a sample and tested it. You can get a long way through telehealth by determining whether or not the patient has a dry cough, has a fever, you know, uh, another long list of symptoms. The federal government also has uh, obviously recognized the importance of telehealth and the Initial Cares Act. Uh, the three rounds of funding that ended up totaling about $2 trillion. Uh, there's $200 million for the Federal Communications Commission to assist providers in using telehealth. And the FCC has put an application for that financial assistance on their website. Providers would just need to go to the FCC website and click the link and fill out the form. 
to apply for financial support for telehealth. One other very interesting thing thing that's uh, come out of the Senate legislation of yesterday was they set aside $25 billion for testing specifically. Uh, A lot of public health experts have said that it's going to be very difficult for us to reopen the economy and for businesses to get back to business in full if we don't know exactly where the virus is, because so many people may be infected and may be carriers, but they're asymptomatic. So in order to get really really get a handle on this, we need to do a ton of testing and then contact tracing. When people test positive, we need to go out and figure out who they've been in contact with. Mm-hmm. Now, we're a long way from determining how healthcare providers and clinics might be involved in that testing, if at all. So, I mean, where I live, the local university has been providing testing. Uh, you can drive up to a tent and get tested, drive away. Uh, um, it's pretty efficient. It's done pretty rapidly. You have a result within 24 to 48 hours. That's worked well locally. And how that might be extrapolated out to every state and every urban area remains to be seen. Um, and $25 billion is probably not enough money. But there, I, I can't imagine there not being a role for healthcare providers and clinics and things like that if we're really going to do widespread testing. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's these are all big issues and big things to, to discuss just as we as we have these types of conversations and as we figure out exactly how to navigate this time. And so lots of decisions to be made, lots of conversations to be had just about um, how clinics and doctor's offices can best navigate these these times. I think the telehealth example is a, is a great example of how technology can be brought in and can aid in this process. And so I think that's a great I think that was a great suggestion and a, and a great thought on that the that the industry immediately had just to uh, to be able to adapt during this particular time. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that sometimes some of the greatest leaps forward come during a tragedy, but that seems to be the way that it is sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes that is just the case. Well, uh, David McFarland, Marketing Communications Manager for MedSphere, thank you so much for joining me today and talking a little bit about um, the ways that these um, that these facilities, these healthcare facilities are receiving funding, how they can go about uh, applying and making sure that uh, that they're able to do that. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for being here today and having this conversation with me. Thanks for the opportunity, Tyler. It's good to talk to you. It's great to talk to you as well. And, uh, and thank you again for, for joining me. And everybody, thank you for listening to the Full Circle Healthcare Podcast here today. Of course, we have previous episodes you can go back and listen to as well as uh, there will be future episodes uh, coming shortly. So make sure you subscribe on either iTunes or Spotify or bookmark whatever uh, website you might be listening to this on, whether it's uh, the MedSphere website or MarketScale or wherever you happen to be getting your podcast these days. Make sure that, uh, that you're bookmarking that place and staying up to date with everything going on in the industry. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. We'll be back soon with more episodes, but until then, have a great day.